0: Hello folks, I'm David Acker, I'm about to be on a podcast, I can't wait, and I also can't wait to be at the session this weekend in the United Kingdom. Coming from Canada, looking forward to it, hope it doesn't snow in Montreal and keep my plane on the ground.
1: This is the Magic Convention Guide podcast for the week starting the 12th of January 2009. Now we're fast approaching the session which takes place on Saturday the 17th and Sunday the 18th of January this year. Now amongst the artists taking part are Ray Cosby, David Acker, John Gastaferro, Noel Coulter, John Archer, John Vanderput, Ben Earle, John Allen, Tom Peterson, Rodney J. Piper, Mark Elsdon, Will Houston and Craig Petty. Now as in all previous years the session is selling out fast and there's very few tickets remaining. So you need to get yourself over to www.sessionconvention.com and make sure you book some tickets and enjoy
0: today's interview.
1: We're with David Acker, um, who's coming to the session
0: this weekend. Coming very soon, actually. It's an over. I have to take the red eye. I'm going on an overnight flight. Those are tricky, tricky and tiring. So I'm, uh, I think I think I'm coming in a day early, so I have an opportunity to kind of uh, get used to the new time uh, time zone, so that I don't disappoint anyone at the lecture by being half asleep
1: well apparently at the session you don't sleep anyway so it's not really going to matter oh, too much fair enough
0: <laughs> i guess i'll start right now
1: so so david i mean you, you've pretty much got everything under your belt you're a magic writer a magician a comedian uh you've done tv you've done some filmmaking short films you've written books
0: actually that's all a factor of being a, what we call a canadian entertainer um uh, in canada uh in order to survive if you decide to stay in canada and work in uh, uh, in entertainment in any any form. You generally have to have a lot of irons and a lot of different fires. Uh, so as as a result, I ended up uh, developing these sort of parallel careers. And usually, what ends up happening is one of them um, um sort of takes off and the others don't. But uh, but I was sort of lucky in that um, my work on television uh, kind of uh, worked out for me, and my work in magic has worked out, and my stand up comedy uh, doing a, a touring live has also worked out. So I ended up with these sort of parallel careers, which. Uh, on the outside can look um, uh, look uh, positive, but actually it's a bit challenging to balance all that stuff and try to figure out what you want to devote your time to and focus on and, and get better at.
1: Well, I was going to say, I mean, because obviously there's, there's lots of things in there. I mean, what out what, of that came first? Did you, did you start with something in particular and then move on to other aspects or did it just kind of all arrive at the same time?
0: Everything I've ever done creatively has ultimately been an outgrowth of magic. Um, when I was eight or nine years old, I, I started doing uh, close-up magic, and I started, well, rather learning about close-up magic, and then later on started doing it. And uh, and that, um, uh, you know, uh, gave me a, an opportunity to kind of de- develop creatively, and um, and that really served me. I ended up uh, to bringing that to when I was, I think, 16 or 17. I... I uh, decided that I liked the idea of working at comedy clubs because my magic already had a kind of a, a naturally comedic bent, so I naively went into a comedy club and ended up doing a spot, and um, uh, in fact, I was part of a troupe at the time uh, of, of two other, with two other magicians, um, uh, Richard Sanders and Barry Julian, and we went on because none of us really had the courage to uh, do this alone, but, uh, and we also didn't want to go on stage and do sort of typical uh, comedy magician bits, uh, particularly in Montreal. Montreal is a hotbed of stand-up comedy. And was really um, I wouldn't say avant-garde, that that's pretentious, but certainly um, uh, wouldn't have been terribly accepting of kind of old-school comedy magic. So we we developed this um, uh, sort of original approach to comedy magic, and uh, I'm not suggesting it was good necessarily, but it was certainly unique to us. And we went on stage uh, as uh, as teenagers and did this together. And eventually, um, uh, uh, each of us developed our own our, our own characters and went our own separate ways. And I, the, the uh, uh, magic, I ended up stopped doing. I stopped doing magic uh, on uh, stand up comedy stages for years because I, what was happening is um, uh, it was actually slowing me down. I was developing stand up at the same time as I was developing magic. And in North America, I assume it's the same in as well, you need to have a certain a high laughs per minute ratio, we call it. Yeah. Um, so you need to get to cram a lot of laughs into a minute on stage. And I would go on and do stand-up, and I would be getting lots of laughs. And then I would pull out a deck of cards, and everything wouldn't grind to a halt. But I'd go down from eight laughs per minute to three. Um, And I could never quite figure out how to pull off the high laughs per minute using magic, so I ended up dropping it completely until only the last three or four years, I've I've brought a little bit of magic back into my, when I do longer sets, if I do 45 minutes or an hour, I'll close with a routine or two. But generally, I just do stand-up on the comedy stage. I'm not sure if that answers any of the questions you've asked up to now. In fact, I'm not even sure you've asked any questions up to now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've called me out. <laughs> I'm, having a slow, I'm having a slow day, and I'm just hoping you're going to cruise through it. I, I was going to say, I mean, uh, has, has magic ever really kind of, I suppose, hindered you or, or held you back be, because of how it works? And like you said, you know, if you go on and pull out a pack cards, a lot of people go, oh, right, okay,
0: card magician, um, I'll go to sleep or I'll go to the bar. It, it did initially, absolutely, in the way I just suggested uh, in terms of last per minute. Uh, and it also held me back in terms of the perception. Uh, now, now I, I should add that I, there may well be a distinction between the North American comedy scene and the British comedy scene. Uh, so this may not be the same, it may not be the same experience for magicians in the British comedy scene. But in North America, uh, with very few exceptions, although there, are, there have certainly been exceptions, uh, magicians are not looked fondly upon by stand-up comedians. Um, uh, even stand-up comedians who aren't necessarily considered purists uh, tend to view magicians in general as hacks. Um, and that's because, unfortunately, a large percentage of magicians are hacks. So, uh, you know, they they, they have some facts to base this on. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have some great magicians doing great work. Uh, but, unfortunately, in North America, there was a glut of magicians back in the uh, during the comedy club boom, which would have been the, the 1980s into the very early 90s. Um, Because there was so much work available to entertainers and because there was a demand um, and not enough comedians really to fill the demand in the club, there were lots of magicians that maybe weren't necessarily uh, of the same caliber in terms of the level of their comedy that were getting work at the same time. And that really hurt the perception of magic in the comedy community in in North America. And I started doing stand-up comedy in 1990, I think, or maybe 91. And um, uh, I could feel it, even even as a as a trio uh, with Richard Sanders and Barry Julian. And even though we weren't doing anything that would be considered normal uh, or typical magic, um, as soon as we were inter- introduced as being magicians, um, uh, uh, the comedians in the room would either walk out or tense up. Or uh, you know, you, you certainly sensed it, uh, even when they weren't vocal about it, that, that this was, uh, you know, looked down on. So I definitely had to deal with that as well, and that was part of the reason I stopped doing magic uh, at stand-up comedy clubs, uh, that in addition to the last per minute issue. Uh, but eventually I got to a point where you know, I, I became known enough for, for being reasonably good at what I do, so uh, they were willing to uh, sort of a, you know uh, uh, accept that I also do a little bit of magic in the show now too. But as I say, I only do that in longer sets, I'm only do- going in to do 30 or 40 minutes. I'll just do straight stand-up, and that'll be that. You're obviously
1: very well respected in, in the magic community.
0: You've written loads of books, and yeah, everyone, oh, thanks. everybody I've spoken
1: to today, goes, oh wow, you're interviewing uh, David Acker. That's brilliant. You know, I've got all these questions for you. Yeah,
0: I, I'd love to spend some time with him. That's really wonderful to hear. I really appreciate that a lot.
1: Well, a a lot of people are looking forward to seeing you at the session, um, mainly because they. Well, I have been
0: practicing my French drop, so (laughs) it's going to be an impressive lecture, I guarantee that. Well,
1: I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you've inspired lots and lots of people um, through the books, um, through what you've created, you know, effect wise and things like that. But but what really inspired you to come up with new stuff and, and kind of create, if you like?
0: Well, initially, when I started out in Magic, which was the early 1980s, I think it might even have uh, bridged over to the late 70s, uh, Paul Harris was um, was uh, was the guy, all the, young guy uh, all the young guys were looking to. I guess to some degree that's still the case, oddly enough, uh, after all these years. But, you know, he was really, I don't know if, um, uh, uh, he, he, you know, I don't, I don't know if, uh, he, he certainly inspired me. There's no question that um, everyone in my generation, and that would include... Uh, the guys I came up with in Montreal, Gary Kurtz and Richard Sanders, and, uh, and Sankey as well who was in Toronto, um, you know, have, have uh, a lot. Uh, uh, we, owe, we owe Paul Harris a great deal of thanks, if only, if only for having opened our eyes to a certain approach to magic, a kind of a playful fantasy world approach um, using uh, ordinary objects. Um, so I would say that uh, certainly at the outset he was my biggest inspiration. Now uh, my, friends, uh, my friends and peers um, uh, are, are the people that I look to, uh, uh, like Jay Sankey, like Richard Sanders. I'm a big Chad Long fan. I love David Williamson. I know there are others, but those are the guys. I look to see what they're doing and I look to see what their work is right now because whenever I look at their work it inspires me to to work on my own stuff and um, even if it's not exactly the same as what they're doing, it just it just gives me a kind of creative energy that I, I really appreciate. And um, Those are the guys uh, at the moment that uh, kind of fuel me in terms of magic.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, talking more about the creation side, I mean, how, how do you sit down and create? Um, is it, do, you, do you purposely sit down and say, right, I'm going to come up with, with this or kind of base it on other stuff you've seen? Sure.
0: Well, I I certainly have my fair share of variations out there, you know, in terms of basing stuff on on other things I've seen, and some of it's been pretty good, and some of it's been, you know, pretty average, but in terms of coming up with new plots or or new methods for old plots, um, I I have a, I don't know if this is typical, and and I don't know if, uh, you know, this is an advantage for me or an affliction, but um, my most creative times with magic are when I'm working hard on something else. Mm. Uh, I know that sounds odd, but... I've been working on a a Discovery Kids television series for the past four years called Mystery Hunters, which is a a kid-oriented, science-based series that looks at paranormal experiences and phenomena. And um, when we are in the crunch and the thick of writing scripts for that show, which is completely unrelated to sleight-of-hand magic, uh, and I'm working 18-hour days crafting scripts and crafting lab uh, lab experiments and things. for some reason, um, ideas for magic tricks pop into my head.
1: Uh, and
0: I don't know why that is, and I wish I could explain it better. In fact, I wish I could. if I could explain it better, then I might be able to create the conditions uh, more consistently. Uh, but generally, when I just sit down and say, okay, today I'm going to come up with a great new card trick, uh, I fail miserably. <laughs> so usually it's when I'm deeply involved in other creative pursuits. Uh, that for some reason my brain unlocks and, and uh, starts to feel uh, to give me magic ideas or magic related ideas. maybe because I, I read a lot of magic books. I, I watch a lot of DVDs, I read a lot of books, so it's possible all that stuff simmers in my head um, uh, in terms of uh, input uh, and then at some point um, you know c- becomes, uh, uh, fuel for output um, r- usually when I least expect it
1: yeah because I to say about reading magic books and stuff yeah you know, I've got a huge library downstairs that I dip into every so
0: often and I, shame to say some of the books I've not even read but sure well I think everybody has read <laughs> I have a pretty good ratio for what it's worth I have a, a reasonably large library but I'm not a collector by any means I, I book buy books because I want to read them and I've probably read maybe 85% of them and I consider that a reasonably good ratio That's,
1: yeah i was going to say what what sort of books do you regularly kind of go back to and reread um for
0: inspiration i, I know you've mentioned sort of uh, the art of astonishment books previously as well i love the art of astonishment any compilation books i find uh, extremely exciting i i actually just finally bought the uh the ibidem uh, trilogy uh ibidem was a newsletter that was put out uh, out of canada actually by howard uh, p howard lyons and um uh that uh, magazine compilations uh, I, I've probably reread the collected Almanac uh, I've probably read it ten times from cover to cover over the years um, Kabbalah I recently went through epilogue uh, hierophant um, uh, those because there's so much material from so many different contributors and different kinds of contributors those tend to be the books that I go back to on a regular basis and usually I discover new things there um, it's not that there aren't other great books out there, uh, but compilation books with a lot of different contributors tend to be the books that I go back to. Yeah. Uh, so, are you more a book person than like sort of a DVD person? I no. You know, it, it, uh, for some reason there seems to be this sentiment that uh, you have to be one or the other. I, I'm. I'm very far fond- I, I love books, uh, and that could be generational. Uh, not that I'm particularly old, but uh, uh, but but certainly when I started books. You know, until the late 80s, I guess, books were really all that was available to us. Um, but um, I, I get a lot out of DVDs. I think I think the volume, the glut of DVDs that are being produced now, um, and maybe by people who aren't quite ready to share their creations, uh, is a bit problematic for the industry as a whole. Uh, but in general, um, uh, I have no problems with the format, even though I have a feeling in about 18 months we're all going to have to switch to Blu-ray. Or whatever <laughs> that, I mean, I... I ridiculous it's going uh, I I'm I'm sincerely hoping that uh, that uh, you know that I don't have to replace my whole library again
1: yes it's a bit like the Betamax VHS thing isn't
0: it absolutely I mean <laughs> I just uh, you know I uh, happily I skipped Laserdisc thank god <laughs> I didn't go to that that only lasted about I don't know seven months or something and they're particularly hard to keep
1: round in your pockets as well a bit they really big. are <laughs> yeah but I I mean you were talking about sort of things evolving and, and moving forward, you know, like like uh, Blu-ray and so on, but where do you see magic going? Because that's obviously changing, you know, books, uh, move on
0: to DVD. I, I don't see books moving on to DVD. I, I see them coexisting. Uh, I realize, the, the, you know, sales sales are fluctuating for, to some degree, but I still think when you produce a good book uh, with valuable information, um, uh, it sells. I think uh, David Regal's latest book is a great example of that, and I know there are others. Um, but, um, having said that, uh, magic as a whole, it, i mean we're in a, we're, you know, it's, it's very difficult to keep secrets in the information age. So what we're going to have to do is uh, make a decision as to what exactly it is. What, what are we? Who are we? Um, as magicians, uh, are we secret keepers? Are we entertainers? Are we both, um, uh, because keeping secrets is, is becoming more and more challenging, yeah. um, especially when people are giving them away on national television specials. Yeah. Um, and, uh, in, a, in a strange way, it irks me a little when that happens. But overall, I, I think that's symptomatic of the problem, uh, not the cause. I, I don't know where magic is going necessarily, except that it seems to be evolving into a more intimate experience. I'm sort of happy about that. Uh, you know, yeah. certainly David Blaine's first special certainly catapulted that, the, the whole idea of focusing... Um, uh, a magic special on, on reaction as much as the trick uh, and I like that and I think Paul Harris has taken that and uh, uh, that ball and run with it as well um, uh, I, and I get the sense I haven't seen his new series of DVDs uh, I think they're called True Astonishment but I have a feeling that that's, that's what he focuses on the intimate yeah. one on one one on two experience that sort of thing um, so that's interesting um, from a magic perspective uh, you know, I suspect the days of, um, uh, you know, Dove acts and uh, stage work uh, may, be, uh, may be numbered in illusions, but I could be wrong. There's always guys who come out with new ways to present this stuff. It's difficult to say. Box magic, um, uh, poorly performed, uh, is only about the secret. So uh, yes. th- that, that's a kind of magic that is very very vulnerable right now in the information age, um, because because the whole thing could come down to, well, I know how that's done. I saw it on YouTube. Um, but but performers who are able to get past that and present things in a unique way uh, may may be able to live through it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean that that's very much the kind of um, method versus the effect. You know, the the method of something is quite easy to expose, quite easy to learn. True. Um, it, it's the actual effect that is really what we do. You know, we we right. perform an effect. We we perform something that is entertaining, and you, sure. you can't expose that. You can't tell someone how to do that. They have to learn how
0: to do it. They have to be able to do it themselves. Yeah, if they care to. The question is, are we going to make people continue to care about what they're seeing uh, one way or another? Um, And I I don't really know the answer to that. I mean, I I think uh, when I look at uh, escape artistry, for example, I think escape artistry and and, and if there are escape artists who are listening to this, I I concede that that I could be wrong about this. It's not an industry that I'm in. But I get the the sense that escape artistry is, is if not dead, certainly twisting in the wind, um, because that's the kind of industry that's—it's very difficult now to get people to care about you getting out of a straitjacket because yes. they know it's going to happen. Uh, they know you're going to get out. Unlike the days of Houdini, when when uh, you know p- p- most of the fun was how how is he going to get out of this? Now, um, it's we know he's going to get out of this, uh, and how he gets out of it isn't particularly relevant to me. Um, a guy like Simon Lovell uh, kind of took the straitjacket in an interesting direction by turning it into a puppet shell as he's trying to escape from the straightjacket, yes. and that, <laughs> that certainly uh, gives us um, you know, a new angle on it, but in the end, if the trick itself is, isn't particularly deceptive anymore since so many people can clearly do it. Um, you know, I don't know, close-up magic, I think, has, has more going for it because there's a lot more different kinds of methods, um, and a lot, and as a result, many different types of tricks we can do even using the same methods. Uh, that I think will we'll be able to stay ahead of people uh, methodologically for some time despite the exposure on the internet and, and on television specials. But, to, but stage escape artists, uh, illusionists, I'm not, I'm not sure that the, I feel like their numbers, uh, their days are more numbered, but I, I could be wrong, and I hope I am. You know, these things often result in paradigm shifts, and there's a whole new kind of magic that will come out of this, and that would be interesting too. Yeah, which, which kind of brings us nicely back to
1: the session, which is, is really one of the only, if the only, completely dedicated
0: close-up convention there is. Uh, have you been to the session before? I have not, but I've heard nothing but good things. Uh, and one of the things I really like about the session is, um, uh, at some point, I don't know if it was the first or second year, are we, is it in the third year now or fourth? Uh, I think it's the third or fourth. Okay, so we're somewhere in that neighborhood, somewhere around the first or second year, I heard uh, or, or got a list of the people who were attend- <coughs> excuse me, attending the convention, um, not just performing lecturing. And I thought, wow, if uh, there was a really high caliber of magician just going to the convention. And uh, that's an interesting experience uh, uh, from a lecturer's standpoint, but also as a conventioneer, when you're surrounded by that level of talent, um, uh, you know, in a way, it sort of reminded me of the old New York symposiums, uh, which were, um, uh, you know, they had tremendous lineups of magicians. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, everybody who was anybody was also attending the convention, and that that creates a very unique energy. Yeah. Um, so that that that's what first uh, drew my attention to the session, and 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 suggested to me that this was a different kind of convention.
1: Yeah, and and also it's, it's the case of with the session, you're you're actively like we said, you're not going to get any sleep because you're going to get bothered all day, all night. But I'll find a way. I'll. I can do it. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, Andy and. Um... Uh, Rob really encourage people to sit down with you guys um, with each other and just literally session there's lots of nice big long breaks of we're session we sit down sure. we play with stuff we talk to each other um, which is something that doesn't happen at a lot of conventions because they don't
0: they don't book that into the time um, it's very that's, much from one one thing to another absolutely that's a, that's a pivotal problem a number of conventions I've been to even even recently uh, Um uh, you know, as a dealer, so occasionally, I, I, in addition to lecturing, I'll have a, a booth in the dealer's room, and the dealer's room will be empty all day because people are at lectures all day. It'll be empty but open all day. and then, uh, there, I have experienced sort of programming conflicts and conventions in the past, and, um, and then people when people do have an hour to be in the dealer's room, that's the hour they would have wanted to eat or they would have wanted the session or whatever. So it's, uh, it sounds to me like the session um, has uh, come up a, with a way to balance all that. So what's, what's next for,
1: for David Acker? What are you going to be the working The session. With? The session, obviously. After the session, when
0: you fly back, when you've recovered? The se- I, I'm hinging the rest of my career on, on, on this coming weekend and what happens at the session. No, I'm not thinking beyond. A lot of people
1: are doing that. John Archer, who I spoke to um, last week, um, yeah. also said,
0: you know, that's going to be his television break. You know, Th- this he- is it for me. I mean, if it doesn't happen at the session, I'm out of magic. Right. Uh, that's my feeling, so... Um, I can't look too far beyond that. I'm actually, uh, to answer your question semi-seriously, I'm actually a, um, uh, in addition to uh, uh, pursuing the magic and the stand-up comedy, I also very recently became a director of development at a television production company. Right. Uh, the same production company that produces Mystery Hunters, uh, which is a, a reasonably well-known uh, production company for children's television, uh, educational children's television, Actually, entertaining educational children's television, which is which is sometimes uh, tricky to, to to moderate and, and manage. Uh, and in addition to that, they um, do documentaries. And I'd be, I be for the next year, I will be a director of development with that uh, production company. Mystery Hunters just wrapped its final season. We just uh, did our fourth and final season, and um, uh, which resulted, uh, in fact, at the same time, we put out a Mystery Hunters book and uh, there's a Mystery Hunters video game now online. And as that sort of plays out for the following year, I'm also going to be developing some new television shows, one of which I hope will be magic-based, assuming uh, it takes off uh, as well. Uh, So um, uh, I guess I'm I'm not letting magic go entirely, but my main focus for the next 12 months will be television uh, uh, developing various television projects. Now, is there any chance that you can bring some magic TV over to the UK? Because we have none. actually you guys have had some tremendous series uh, uh the secret world of magic was great um we
1: have we have in the past yes but over the last possibly year year and a half it, it's trailed off i
0: yeah the secret world of magic was was fantastic um yeah. you guys were leading the way at one time um uh of the, there was much more magic production being done or specials being produced in uh, in the uk than there, there were anywhere else in the world and i think um Uh, We did a a David Blaine-style television series here in uh, Canada called Urban Magic and I think it was the year 2000. It was myself and Richard Sanders and a magician by the name of Patrick Cuffs. And after that, um, there were a couple of little specials here and there. Uh, But but, um, at the moment, there seems to be... um, uh, There was some demand for magic specials, uh, but there seems to be some attrition in that. And I'm hoping it comes back the other way, the pendulum swings. Uh, I don't know if... um, um, series like Mind Freak. M- Mind Freak is considered successful uh, in North America and it's possible that that will uh, prompt other networks to explore and investigate doing magic-based series. But it's equally possible that because Mind Freak is on the air, they will feel that that market is already saturated. So yeah. nobody will want to do anything magic-related. It's a, a pretty, a, And you really don't know which way that's going to go until you start pitching the stuff. If anybody is interested in sort of seeing the various things that I do, I have some video clips and audio clips up from radio appearances and stand-up comedy on my website, davidacker.com. Uh, that's sort of a, um, the one place where all my various careers intersect, and that's an opportunity. That's a location where people can explore some of that stuff if they're interested. Uh, but beyond that, I'm really just looking forward to uh, coming to the session. I know it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone there, and uh, uh, I-, I can't wait, frankly. Brilliant. Thank you very much, David it's been a real pleasure thanks for having me on
1: now remember the session takes place in gloucester on saturday the 17th and sunday the 18th of january 2009 the official website for booking tickets is www.sessionconvention.com or you can click on our site www.magicconventionguide.com, and you can link straight through to the session site to book tickets We've also got information on both sites about hotels, location, how
0: to get there and who's appearing.